We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. First pick in the 1991 NBA draft, the Charlotte Hornets select Larry Johnson from University I'm not supposed of to be here, man. A lot of people from where I'm from, so don't, don't make it. Charlotte, we're back. All right, welcome to another Buzzbeat, a Charlotte Hornets podcast. This is Richie, and I'm joined by Lee live here on Twitter Spaces as the game just went final in overtime between the Hornets and the Pistons. One streak did snap, 15-game win streak over the Pistons snapped, and then one streak has continued this season, Lee. Uh, Hornets have yet to win a game in overtime. I really didn't want to get on here uh, after this loss, but I know we promised the listeners that we would do one of these, and uh, I was hoping that this game would end in a win, especially after they had just blown out the Toronto Raptors on on Friday night. You thought that they would take that momentum, get back to 500, but unfortunately, Hornets are now sitting 30-32 and 32 as they head into tomorrow's game against the Bucks. Lee, how's it going? Yeah, no, just uh, just headed to the uh, defending NBA champions, you know, in our next matchup. No, no, no cause for concern or anything. Um, you already mentioned the fact that the Hornets have failed to win an overtime game this season. Um, kind of a big theme we talked about in the preseason was what what is this Hornet, you know, quote unquote clutch um, performance, you know, clutch play going to look like. This season with uh, Devontae Graham gone, who who was obviously a big you know component in the Hornets, like all in clutch play last two seasons. So just yeah, just a just an absolutely backbreaking, you know, heart crushing loss here. You know, the Hornets are now fifteen and fifteen at home too, after being like well above five hundred pretty much all year. Interim center, um, they're now just 500 at home. So tough one, Rich. Tough one. Yeah, yeah. So um, I think, you know, the end of game stuff is interesting to talk about. But overall, I just thought the energy, you know, coming out to start the game wasn't great. And to have the Pistons hang around for as long as they did, you can't expect, you know, a win all the time when you have a team that's clearly inferior to you to kind of hang around. So I think. 
that was definitely seen in a couple of areas on the court, but I think most glaringly on the defensive side of the court, allowing too many points in the paint early on, and especially in the offensive glass. You know, they, they weathered the storm a little bit, and things started to change in the second half, and they started to use their defense to turn it into offense. They even played some zone a little bit in that third quarter, but you know, you could talk about the finish, you could talk about not closing things out, but I think also you've got to point to some of these slow starts that we've been too accustomed to with this team, and uh, the energy just wasn't there from the get-go, and I think the offensive rebounding again rears its ugly head for this team, and the Pistons hung around, and they got second opportunities after second opportunities with Stewart and some of their other bigger guys as well. Just to highlight two players on the positive side for this for this team, for the Charlotte Hornets, and I, again, I wish it would have ended in a victory, but Terry Rozier has just been playing awesome as of late. He's a scorer in, in multiple senses for this team. He turned it on in the third quarter. I think he had 12 points in that third quarter alone. He finished with 33 on the game against Toronto on Friday. He was getting his buckets as like a self-creator. And we we saw that a little bit of that tonight, too. I wonder how many points he scored unassisted because on Friday it was 15. I think that's huge for this team because, number one, he will be used as that backup point guard, right? And then number two, even when he's not you know, in there as the quote-unquote point guard, creating late in shot clock situations, getting off shots on his own is just another dimension, you know, that you want to add to his game because where he is at his best is coming off screens as a movement shooter. So he showed up big again tonight. You wasted a 33 point performance from him and just kind of like a under the radar type of player that I thought was awesome tonight was Cody Martin, probably more so in the first half with his offensive side, but He was a good two-way performer tonight, brought the defensive effort, got some deflections. And I think the cool thing about him is when he switches on to different players, whether they're a point guard or a shooting guard or a big, like he, I think he relishes like being switched on to the bigs at time in the post and almost dares teams to kind of like target him. Um, I think he even drew an offensive foul at one point in this game. And then his aggression offensively, I think he's stepping up there and, and getting to the rim And I know that his status was kind of up in the air to begin this game, but it didn't seem like he was hampered by any kind of uh, back injury tonight. So overall, I thought both Rozier and Martin definitely needs needs a shout out for uh, for this game. Yeah, no, it it is it is fantastic to have Cody back in the lineup after you know a couple weeks him being out. Uh, Just to back up to your comment about the offensive rebounding, obviously the Pistons have twenty two offensive rebounds in the game. It felt like. 20 of those was in the fourth quarter and and the overtime even though they were they were obviously a bit more distributed than that just felt like the hornets could never get that crucial final stop to to put the pistons like two or three possessions down rather than just trading baskets because of those offensive rebounds and like it bears out okay like the pistons had 110 shot attempts in this game to the hornets having 89 shot attempts in this game so that's that's 20 extra possessions. That's 20 extra looks to basket. Some of that is offensive rebounding. Some of that is turnovers. Um, like the shooting percentages were, were pretty in line. The Hornets shot the ball a little bit better from the floor. But you just can't allow a team like that, Richie, that's clearly inferior to you to have 20 extra possessions. Like that is just, you know, it's, it's like no wonder the Hornets were struggling to put this team away. Agreed on Terry Rozier. He's 
was fantastic tonight. Like you already hit on his his ISO creation, his shot making. Another thing he, he like he was all over the place on the defensive end tonight, yeah. and we know he has, you know, he has obviously has big time like defensive limitations um, because of his size, but just a couple incredible skills. Um, I mean. Because of his size, like he is a little bit underrated as an athlete. Like Terry Rozier is a fantastic athlete, and uh, he had a couple, particularly late in the game. So yes, I mean Rozier is you know having like with even some of the ups and downs, and even a little bit of injury thrown in there. Like he is again having uh, a, a Terry Rozier s season that we're using. He's back up around thirty. 37 percent from from three uh one of the best movement shooters in the nba we know all this stuff but you're right he's he's been tasked with more playmaking load um as that kind of pseudo backup point guard and he was awesome and it's and it's great to have cody back in the lineup um one thing i wanted to mention on cody was he was also part of that closing lineup um that was you know ball rosier martin washington bridges which i i really like that closing lineup that Borrego went to for kind of like once, I think it was about four minutes left in the fourth quarter. He pretty much played that lineup mm-hmm. through the fourth quarter and the overtime with, with just like a little bit of plumbly sprinkled in there on like random defensive <laughs> possessions. But, you know, I, I really like that lineup and I tweeted like, you know, especially on a night where Ubre, which like you said, besides like a short spurt of like an off, like a quick offensive explosion that he had earlier in the night, it wasn't like a, you know, it wasn't like a pre-Ubre game. So w- when you have Washington and Bridges and Rozier out there, like it's fine to close with Cody Martin and a little more defense rather than needing Ubre out there, obviously with the context of the fact that like Gordon Hayward isn't available to close right now. So, you know, and, and look, you know, Montrez Harrell, like his kind of his stinker in a, in a, in a Charlotte uniform, uh, you can't expect him to have 20 and 10 every night. Um, PJ at the five, a lot more tonight than, than we've seen lately. Plumlee only played 19 minutes. Harrell only played 24. So just a ton of PJ and PJ was, was really good down the stretch. A couple yeah. massive defensive plays around the rim deal, obviously on Cade, but man, it's just, it's just a completely kind of like unacceptable loss for a team that is fighting and, you know, clawing for their playoff lives. And to lose at home to Detroit, who, look, they played well. But, like, and they had some awesome shot making. I mean, Grant was awesome. Bay was awesome. Cunningham was great down the stretch. It's it's just, like, when you zoom out, it's, man, it's just a, it's an unacceptable loss. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, to your point about Montrez, I, I thought he had a pretty uneventful night. Uh, but one thing that it's kind of taken me aback uh, in the past couple of games is that he's actually had some like short roll playmaking ability. And I'll have to clip these two passes that he made in the second half, both of them to Miles Bridges as a baseline cutter. But basically, he sets a screen, he gets the ball in the middle of the court, and he has options and he's making plays off the dribble, off the catch and, and stopping around the free throw line and, and finding a cutting Miles Bridges. That's something that I did not think was in his game. And, and speaking of uneventful, uh, LaMelo Ball tonight, in terms of his impact as a scorer, shooter, probably, I mean, I, I mean, Ubre was not that great either, but probably one of the least impactful players tonight in terms of the scoring ability, like he found ways to impact the game as the distributor. That's always going to be the case. But I thought the Pistons, Kate Cunningham, especially just really physically, like he's a physically gifted player. So he made it really hard for ball to kind of get into rhythm and get things going towards the hoop. So I thought LaMelo ball, especially uh, is a player that you need to step up in a game like this. And he did not shoot the ball too well. Let's see here, 6 of 24 from the field. So uh, Pistons definitely made it difficult for LaMelo. And Evan, we'll get to your request here after uh, Lee chimes in. Yeah, it was it was a strange LaMelo game because I honestly thought, like, prior to the quarter, like, I thought he had played a pretty good floor game, you know, even though, obviously, he just didn't have it tonight, like, from a shooting standpoint. Um, but I thought he was really good in the pick and roll, particularly in the first half. He threw a couple just incredible like thread the needle pick and roll passes you know a, a plumly dunk uh, a, a pj washington dunk pj was really good as a role man tonight uh i thought Lamelo, like you said i thought he was really like spreading the ball around getting guys involved um and then you know he, he takes kind of his customary uh start of the fourth quarter break brago gets him back in I, I think it was like the four or five minute mark and he really did nothing um, offensively from that point on and, and stayed in the game, and he should have because, I mean, it's frustrating because, you know, the Hornets were up two in regulation, and LaMelo gets a, a wide-open uh, top-of-the-break three. To, and, you know, every, I mean, you could just feel it. Like, everyone in the entire arena was just like, <gasps> like the gas is waiting to explode because it would have been kind of a dagger, and he bricks it. He gets the he misses the layup when the Hornets are up one in overtime. A lot of missed layups, um, not not, not just not just by ball, but like a lot of missed layups right. towards the end. Yep, no PJ missed one too. I mean, it was contested pretty well by Grant, but like PJ, and and that's something we've talked about on this podcast a lot. Like PJ has to can has to somehow improve as a rim finisher. He was really good in the roll game tonight. He was really good in the dunker spot tonight, but he didn't finish the one that we really needed him to finish 
Obviously, PJ also had the tip in to even send this thing to overtime. But yeah, LaMelo misses that layup. And then, of course, you know, Melo also gets the steal uh, at the end of regulation, which I, I honestly I thought he was going to hit that shot, even though <laughs> he did have a little more time. But like in that moment, you know, it's so frenetic. PJ tips it in. The, the Spectrum Center is going crazy. LaMelo trails Cade and like steals the ball away. It's hard. It's hard not to just kind of turn around and, and try and put up a jumper in that situation when you know that there's like less than four seconds left, but yeah, he, he totally could have taken one dribble and, and, and taken, and taken a little bit of a closer shot, but right. um, just, yeah, just a, a, a tough finish to the game for LaMelo because he had a couple really open and nice opportunities to kind of put the Pistons away and wasn't able to convert. The only other thing I'll say about the kind of like, end of regulation and overtime, you know, the Hornets were finding things that worked offensively and, and particularly found one thing that worked offensively, which was essentially just like Hunt, Killian Hayes. You know, there was a ton of bridges, Rozier, pick and roll exchanges. And then they would just kind of, you know, whether it was Rozier or bridges that ended up getting the switch on the Killian Hayes, they would just attack him off the dribble. And that worked a lot. Like miles bridges had the end one, um, in, in overtime against Hayes. And, 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 and of course, like the Hornets are liable to do that. LaMelo wasn't a part of a lot of that action because he just didn't have it going offensively. Uh, the problem was not necessarily the offensive end for the Charlotte Hornets uh, late in this game. It was the fact that they couldn't get timely stops and they couldn't like snare yep. a big defensive rebound uh, to try and get up by a possession or two. All right, we'll go to Evan here as a speaker request. Evan, what do you have for us? Hey guys, I don't have too much tonight. I'm gonna be honest with you. I missed. Uh, I was at a wedding, so I missed a large portion of this game. So sitting here now, that I did uh, watch fourth quarter and overtime fully, and honestly, came to you guys after the Minnesota game, and I was, I was uh, in pieces. I was, I was in a bad, bad place, and now I, I'm just broken. I, I are, are we even convinced that this team is gonna make the like you know the plane anymore? We're, I think we're up maybe two, two and a half games up on Washington. We don't have a cakewalk of a schedule left. Um, you know, we have to play Milwaukee and Boston and the Nets this week or something like that. You know, I know we have San Antonio mixing there somewhere in the Pelicans, but they're, they're playing well. And I, I don't know, you know, we were, like we were talking about the ceiling for this team being, you know, a, a five seed. I don't even know if this team is, is, a, is a playing team anymore. I'm just, I'm broken, guys. This team is this team causes me pain. Too much pain. <laughs> yeah, it was a painful game. It was a painful game. I think when we talked about the ceiling for this team being like a six seed that was earlier in the season, I think right at this point, I think the highest they could get is eight. And I that would just be like hoping like the Toronto Raptors kind of fell off. But I still feel like they're gonna stay in the hunt in this play in game. You know, maybe they end up as the ten seed overall like they did last season. Obviously, it would be nice to be in the eighth spot to where you have two shots at the play-in tournament and not kind of be one and done. Um, I just don't th- I don't think that the Wizards have anything left in them, um, and I'm probably going to jinx this as I'm saying this. But, Lee, I mean, what do you think? Nine, ten, like that's where I'm expecting the Hornets to finish, you know, with 20 games left. I think that's probably where they're going to end up. Hawks could pass them. Like, I could see the Hawks doing that and, you know, maybe Trey Young turning it on late and and – propelling that team above them. But I don't think the Wizards, and especially not the Knicks, passing the Hornets at this point. Yeah, well, look, I mean, I feel you, Evan. It's, 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 it's bleak right now. Um, 
you know, this is a team that, you know, a month ago or six, you know, six weeks ago, um, what was right there kind of in the thick of things. Uh, I agree with Richie that the Hornets will ultimately be able to kind of like, you know, hang on, limp in, whatever adjective you want to use to describe it in the ninth or 10th seed. And, and that's mostly because like the Knicks are just more of a disaster than we are right now, frankly. And we still have essentially a five game lead on the Knicks. The Hawks are playing better currently than we are right now. There's no doubt about that. Hornets are two and eight in their last 10. Hawks are five and five. The Hawks have issues of their own and have have had a disappointing season in their own right, but are kind of like surging at least, at least relative to the Charlotte Hornets right now. We've still got the, the Wizards did not play tonight. I don't believe. So we'll still be two games up on the Wizards. And I just, yeah, I, I don't have like a ton of confidence in the Washington Wizards making a massive, like, late season run. So I guess it's unfortunately it's kind of like more by default than anything else. Right. But I also do still hold out like some optimism for, you know, the vol- the volatility of this team. You know, it's been God, two months before we've since we've gone on any sort of like you know, it's it's been two months since we've like ripped off a winning streak. So so like theoretically, with the way the ebbs and flows of this season have gone, we are kind of due for an unexpected, you know, three or four game win streak, which would put a little bit more of a cushion behind our sales. But I get that it's like hard to imagine that happening right now, particularly when you lose at home tonight to the Detroit Pistons on a Kelly Olenek fadeaway game winner. My God. But I still maintain that the Hornets will finish this season um, in, in the top 10. They'll go to the plan and then, you know, we'll see what happens from there. Adam, what do you got for us? All right. Uh, how you doing, guys? I uh, just wanted to first say huge fan of your pod. I uh, like you. a lot of what you guys do. You know, you guys kind of just touched on what I wanted to ask. I know you mentioned that uh, this is more for the future, but um, I know uh, you would consider it like about where you expected if they finish around in 9-10. But if they kind of continue this like streaky play, do you, do you guys think there needs to be a bit of like like a bit of a revamp to the roster to an extent, nothing like crazy. And you don't want to overreact to one game, obviously, but you kind of think like there's maybe a little too many weaknesses on this team that need to be addressed in like a big way. Man, Lee, I, oh. I, don't, I don't know how to answer this question because I don't know how much flexibility they're going to have this off season. Obviously maybe he's hinting at a trade. I don't know. Lee, yeah. Lee take this. Well, I mean, look, like I have been uh, a staunch defender of James Borrego. I, I continue to have that view for the most part, but I am on record saying that, you know, if, uh, if Evan's worst nightmare comes true and the Hornets do miss the play in uh, by no means am I calling like for JB to get let go. I'm just being like realistic and rational that if the Hornets, you know, completely tank into the end of the season and completely miss the play in that, I think everything would be on the table. I wouldn't necessarily want it to happen, but I think at that point you have to at least start having the conversation. So uh, that's a reality I don't want to live in, but it is a reality that I guess in some universe could come true more from a roster construction standpoint. Like there are obviously decisions that have to be made this off season. Of course, namely miles bridges extension, 
Montrez Harrell is on an expiring contract. I think we're probably looking at that as more of kind of a half-season rental than anything else, if I had to guess. Of course, Cody Martin is a player that needs to be re-signed. Like, there are uh, some fairly big decisions to be made uh, this upcoming offseason. But in terms of speculation about like major roster construction changes, I, I, I think Richie's right. I don't think there's like a ton of flexibility here unless we want to start kind of like rehashing all of the same, you know, trade speculation that we have for the last, I don't know, 18 months, which would mostly center around PJ Washington. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and I don't necessarily think that that's like super informative at this juncture or even realistic. Uh, but, but that being said, like, like to, to answer the question, I, I, there are some big decisions to make. And if this team completely tanks into the end of the season, I think there's even got to be some conversation around leadership and, and things of that nature, but, but I'm not quite there yet. And I, and I just want to see how things shake out. The only other thing I'll say is, you know, this is still a really young roster your two best players are pretty clearly LaMelo Ball and Miles Bridges, both under 25. The steps to ascension within the Eastern Conference are around the player development of LaMelo Ball and Miles Bridges. And if they both take another big step forward next season, then like that's where your margin for improvement can happen. And, and like, you know, that's, I think, a pretty decent bet, actually. It's going to be interesting to see, like, if there is a way to somehow retain Montrez because, or, I mean, because they definitely need a center. Like, you know, Plumlee is is fine, right? Like, he's, he's a fine center. Like, he's, he's nothing great. But I, I like the mold that Montrez is in and what he can provide for this team as an inside scorer, as a guy that can get you buckets at the rim. So that's going to be interesting to see. Like, you know, it might just be a rental that turns out to be nothing more than just that. Uh, but I would love to see if there is a way to kind of uh, finagle the the monies to get him back. I don't know how that's going to happen or what's that going to look like uh, over the summer. We're going to end here with two last speaker requests before we get out of here. Uh, we're going to go to Hoop Journal first, and then we'll end with Cam. Hey, how you guys doing? Good. How are you? Good, good. Um so I just wanted to ask you guys, just as one of the fans, like, given everything that you know up to this point in the season, what for you guys is sort of like a good season versus a bad season in terms of end result? Like, is it just maintaining a play on, playing spot? Like, are you trying to get up to eight? Is there any hopes of getting to the top six? Like, what to you would be considered a good season at this point? Well, at the beginning of the season, uh, I, or, you know, before the season even started, I, I think if the Hornets made the playoffs after the play-in, meaning, you know, not just making the play-in and then somehow fizzling out, I thought, I thought that would have been a successful season. And I think I'll still hold true to that statement in the sense that if this team fizzles out at the end of this season, makes the play-in, but somehow doesn't get in as a top eight seed, I, I almost would consider that an unsuccessful season to me. And I think a lot of that's going to depend on Gordon Hayward's health and when he will return. Because if he does return towards the end of the season, because I think the status is kind of unknown at this point, Lee. Like, what if he comes back with like four or five games left in the season? And I'm just making this up. I have no idea if that's when the prognosis is. And the Hornets are just on this downward trend. Do they even risk bringing him back um, in that type of sense? 
if they're more of on this upward trend and they're and they're fighting for like an eighth seed, yeah, maybe you bring them back. So I, I guess that's that's what I have to consider. Does Gordon Hayward play again uh, for the rest of the season? But to me, I think if they don't make the playoffs after the play-in, I would kind of consider that an unsuccessful season in my eyes. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I'm with you, Richie. I mean, this was a team that was uh, that was 28 and 24 10 games ago. Um, so, and look, obviously, we 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 you know we we passed out the injuries. We've talked about it. By the way, Hoop Journal, always good to see you, man. Thanks for thanks for jumping in. Um, and and always good to see you in the spaces and on Twitter. Um, I I I, t- I think that was really well laid out, Richie. Honestly, I'm not sure I have a whole lot of value to add there. I think. You know, I, I do think that the the streak and kind of the first, you know, 50 games or 45 games of this Hornet season did warp our expectations just a little bit. It's it's kind of uh, uh, frustrating how the, the, there are mirrors from last season to this season in regards to, you know, you know kind of at that two-fifth part of the season being done and the Hornets being like, in the in the four to six range and then having kind of a a swell of injuries and then just kind of bottoming out into the season they still have time to like counteract that and and make a push here at the end of the season um but nights like tonight make that really tough to tough to imagine so um i I do think we have a little bit of warped expectations and like just you know, genuine disappointment because of where they were 10 to 15 games ago. Um, but like, if you would have told us all prior to the season, the Hornets are going to be two games under 500, uh, 62 games into the season. I think we'd be, would have been like slightly, Oh, that, that kind of stinks. But I don't think anybody would have been shocked by any man. So like, you know, I basically a 500 team, um, they would have been back to 500 if they could have won tonight. And, but that being said, again, Richie, I agree with you. Like not, not being able to qualify for a real bona fide playoff series, seven game playoff series is going to be disappointing if it doesn't come to be. Okay. We'll end with cam here. We can't have an episode without cam. So cam, go ahead. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. I, I hope this is not too, you know, Downer. My question is, um, by the way, everybody's kind of talking, you know, like it's understandable how you want to get miles and mellow playoff reps, but, and this is really all kind of hindsight. I don't think we'd be having these discussions if Gordon and, uh, and McDaniel were, were both Mm -hmm. healthy. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, seeing especially how Gordon has injury history, like if you could go back, would you kind of let the kids have the ball for the year last year or this year to try and get like another guy? My, my perspective is that miles and Miller are great, great players, but they are not over the top, you know, conference champion type of pieces. And I know, I don't know this is Charlotte. Like we want to be competitive and I'm totally cool with that as a person who lives here and like has season tickets. Like I would love for them to speak playoff pieces but if there was a chance to get a top four or five pick again to get a, a third really really good piece that could add to like 
our little cast of, of stars. Like, what do you guys think? Do you, do you guys think we made the right move by signing Gordon or and, and re-signing Terry? I, right now, it's right now with with Gordon out. It's it's all kind of just like, oh my God, the the world is falling, but it's it's not. And uh, I just kind of want to get you guys' thoughts on it. I know that Brian has kind of put up like a a, a what if and not weighed in. I just kind of want to know what you guys think. Yeah, it's interesting with Gordon Hayward because of the intangibles that he does bring to this team. You wonder how LaMelo's and Miles and PJ's and just all the young players' progression would have progressed had Gordon Hayward not been on this team. And that's something that you probably could really never quantify. Uh, It's just kind of a hypothetical. But I do think that having a veteran on your team, uh, someone in the mold of, of Gordon Hayward, I do think that elevates the play around him and maybe makes players progress at a faster rate than if he wasn't on the team. So it's if you take him out of the equation, where would LaMelo and Miles be at this point in their career? Uh, but to your point, both seasons have ended in a very familiar fashion with Gordon Hayward out for an extended period of time, and they're kind of caught in this limbo phase again where they're eight to 10 in the Eastern Conference standings. Uh, If I were to do it all over again, man, that's a tough question. I I don't know if, you know, going after Gordon Hayward and re-signing Terry Rozier this year. I mean, Terry Rozier was huge tonight. That's a, that's a very difficult question to kind of think hindsight here. Lee, any, any thoughts on terms of like, you know, just going full rebuild a couple years ago, the thing with Charlotte, it's so hard to acquire top end talent unless it's through the draft right like persuading a big name or if you want to call it a big name through free agency is very difficult and I think Mitch Kupchak was almost surprised that they had an opportunity to bring in Gordon Hayward and he didn't think twice about it because he knew that that was probably one of the bigger names that he could bring in to Charlotte but I do think Gordon Hayward's importance to this team in terms of the development of some of the younger pieces uh, doesn't get stated enough but yeah, his injury history just keeps rearing its ugly head, and it happens at inopportune times uh, with this team. So it's it's hard to gauge. It's really hard to gauge. Yeah, it's 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 a really really tough one because it, the and the reason why it's a tough question to answer is because you can make logical rational arguments on both sides. Like there is absolutely, I think, fair criticisms to bring to bear on the Gordon Hayward signing, um, not because of his play on the floor. Like, like anyone who tells you that when Gordon Hayward is healthy, he has not been an effective starting small forward for the Charlotte Hornets. It, like, in my opinion, just clearly isn't watching this, the same basketball. On the other hand, if you want to make the argument that the Charlotte Hornets could have leaned a bit more into their youth mm-hmm. early in LaMelo Ball's career, and, and, and look, like we see what this team is without Gordon Hayward. Like it's, it's a, a below 500 team is, is what it is. But like, if you're making the argument that they could have leaned into the youth earlier into LaMelo Ball's career and they could have stockpiled, you know, one or two more lottery picks, I, I think that's a very fine and logical argument to make. Like, you know, I think that's true. I also think um, it's fair to say that particularly this season, having Gordon Hayward beside LaMelo Ball is really necessary for LaMelo Ball's development because, as we talked about a ton on this podcast, we pushed all the chips in the middle of the table 
on the mellow ball as our offensive engine. And when he doesn't have that kind of like secondary and tertiary Gordon Hayward, late shot clock, slow the game down, make good half court decisions. Like when he doesn't have that counterbalance, it doesn't necessarily always bring through LaMelo ball's best self. Um, Although he's been like fantastic this season. And, you know, if you listen to this podcast at all, you've heard me go on like five different, you know, eyes roll back in the back of my head, like three minute rants on how amazing LaMelo ball is. So like nobody take that the wrong way. I, all I'm saying here is like, you can make very sound arguments on both sides of the Gordon Hayward contract argument. Um, and, and it's really frustrating because, you know, eight games ago, Gordon Hayward had played the most games for the Charlotte Hornets this season. And then he gets his leg rolled up on. And we, you know, like Richie said, we really don't know in and with if we're going to see him again this season. So, um, but, but at this point, like, obviously Gordon Hayward has, has a very, very uh, well-documented um, injury history. So, um, yeah, it, it's a really good question. It's a good conversation. There are logical points to make on both sides of it. I think anyone who tells you it's like 100% one or the other is not being quite honest with themselves. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I don't even really fall. Uh, I'm like, I'm like 50, yeah. 50. And, and I, you know, I, I hate, I hate to like not answer the question, but I, I just, I think it's a tough one. Yeah. That's why I couldn't answer it. I, I, I mean, I can see both sides to the argument and hypotheticals are always very tough because you don't know what's obviously on the other side there, but we're going to go ahead and wrap here uh, just because We've been going way too long for an overtime loss against the Detroit Pistons. We appreciate everyone that's joined us here on Spaces. If you joined us late, uh, we will have the podcast version out tomorrow morning. So uh, for Lee, I'm Richie. We'll talk to you guys later. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.